chapter 2, verses 9 through 20. Um, and if this is your first Sunday here, welcome again. We're glad to have you here. Um, this is your 114th Sunday. Also glad to have you here. Um, it's so fun. There's lots of activities going on throughout the week at Redeemer, um, and it's just so fun to see all your familiar faces Sometimes on Sundays, but also on Wednesday mornings at Bible study, or some of you on Thursday nights. There was a men's gathering uh, yesterday morning, and it's just neat to see fellowship happening, uh, not just on Sunday morning. So if you have been visiting for a while and are, are, are contemplating kind of taking a step forward, uh, we would encourage you to do so. It is an incredible group of folks uh, that do a, just a phenomenal job of welcoming people in and loving folks well through the highs and lows of life. Um, okay, so 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9 through 20. I'm going to read this, then I'm going to pray, and then we will dive into it together. Starting in verse 9. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And we also thank God continually, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displeased God and are hostile to everyone in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they also heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. But, brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and our joy. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we, are, we can clap for the word of the Lord. Thank you, Caden. Uh, let's pray. Father, we are incredibly grateful for your kindness and generosity to us. Incredibly grateful for how you have welcomed us in. You've offered to welcome us in to your family not based upon our goodness or our righteousness, but based upon Christ's finished work on the cross. May we remember that. Maybe we be reminded of that, as we already have in the scriptures and the songs. May the truth of that pierce deep into our souls, to where we are comforted, to where we are overjoyed, where the fruit of the Spirit, fruits of the Spirit, are we're seeing manifested in our lives. May you convict us of sin through the scripture being preached 
today. Not to shame us, but to correct us so that we enjoy more of you going forward. And Father, we pray for those in our church that are hurting. We pray for those specifically who are going through difficult times right now. We think of those with medical issues or financial problems or housing issues or lacking furniture in their home. Whatever it may be, Father, may you provide. Where it is broken, may it be healed. Where it is lacking, may our people be thriving going forward. And Father, I pray that you would help us as a church to continue to take steps forward in living out our calling to love each other and to love our neighbors well. And we pray for our neighbors. We pray for the communities represented in this room. We pray for our city. We pray for the government. We pray that peace would come in Atlanta as it is in heaven. It's in Christ and we pray. Amen. 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 Who, who in the room remembers a highway project? You're from the northeast, from New England, may ring a bell, but a highway project called the Big Dig. Raise your hand. Thank you. A few of you in the room. So the Big Dig, uh, I represented here on the screen. This is the biggest highway project in American history. It cost 2.8 billion dollars, uh, which actually was way over budget by the time it was completed. It was supposed to be done in 1998. This is up in Boston, up in Massachusetts, and I think it actually officially ended in 2007. So it, the end result, I think, has been very positive. The process, not so much. It was an enormous mess. In Boston, roads were temporarily closed down. Some permanently closed down this process. There was rerouting left and right, detours every other day. Roads were being changed. City planning professors will have students study the big dig for the next hundred years. It was a a monumental uh, project uh, that people would love to have some do-overs with if they could. Well, in 2004, uh, I think I was 21 at this time, I went up to visit a friend of mine named Travis. We went to school together. He graduated a little bit before me, and he was 23 at the time. He was living with about five buddies in a row house in Boston. And Travis, like a lot of folks, didn't own a car in Boston, relied mainly on public transit and a longboard to get around. Um, but when I came to town, we had a, a packed agenda. Uh, two of my buddies were there with me uh, alongside Travis, had a packed agenda in an effort to be a little more efficient with our time. He borrowed a car uh, from one of his friends at his church. Well, that afternoon, uh, we left his, his row house in Dorchester, uh, kind of a, whatever you call those, a borough uh, of Boston, and left his house and headed to the other side of Boston, and we instantly ran in to traffic. The Big Dig is in the height of its mess at this time, and you have to remember, this is way before navigation on your phones. I mean, we are literally still printing out MapQuest and putting it in our car. I've got a phone at this time, but it's a Nokia. We're playing Snake on there. We're not navigating where we're going in the vehicle. But on the, at that time, so we are, are, are rock and roll. We actually don't have a map with us, but honestly, with all the road closures, it really wouldn't have made a difference. So Travis, he had a decent idea where he was going. He lived in Boston about a year, but when he realized they had shut down the road he was planning on using, kind of the main corridor he was planning on using, he started to scramble. We got detoured. 
how we turned around. I remember coming to a traffic light. We were in a Jeep Cherokee. I remember coming to a traffic light. He's driving. I'm sitting in the passenger seat. Travis looks to his left, looks to his right, looks back to his left, back to his right, takes a deep breath, and he says, he goes, Drew, I don't know where to go, but I know this is a critical intersection. We messed this up. We are in a bad place. And eventually, an emphasis here on the word eventually, we did get where we were going. We found a route, um, but uh, it, was, uh, it was out of the way. We found a route, but when I was thinking uh, about that moment, I'll come back to that moment from time to time, and I'll think back on when Travis looked at me after taking a deep breath and said, Drew, I don't know where to go, but I know this is a critical intersection. And I remember the not in both of our stomachs. We had a plan, but the plan wasn't working. We got derailed by road closures and detours and things outside of our control. We had gotten flustered, me more than him, uh, confused, and also knew that we needed to make some good decisions. And as I go through life, kind of as we go through life, I oftentimes feel that same feeling again 20 years later. We had a plan. We felt good about the plan. We left the house confident in the plan. But then life happens, as they say. Or sin happens. Ours or someone else's. Suffering happens and we have to take a detour. We get turned around. We get going the wrong direction and we come to an intersection where a decision has to be made. We look to the left, we look to the right, with a knot in our stomach, we take a deep breath, we don't know what to do, but we know this is a critical intersection. If you felt that way before, I think the Lord has something from this passage for us today. Now you remember as Leon and I, Pastor Mac and I have talked about in this letter from 1 Thessalonians, it's written by the Apostle Paul, and it's not written to chronicle history. The purpose of this letter was not to simply espouse theology, but it's written to a church, a young church. People had heard the gospel through Silas and Timothy and had begun to meet together, break bread together, be in fellowship with each other, study the scriptures, and they had become a local church. And thankfully, they were doing so, so well. Here, Paul is encouraged, as we read so far in these first couple of chapters, and he wants to be wind in their sails. And there's a saying in life that says, what you celebrate, what you praise, shows what you value. And in this letter, Paul gives us what he values by what he praises. Just like a good parent, he praises what he wants to see repeated. And if we want to be a people who love what God loves, may we be a people, be a church who values what the Scripture values in church and for the people of God. So this passage that we read earlier, 9 through 20, we're actually only going to focus on one verse. Verse 13, it says, And we also thank God continually, because when you receive the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, 
which is indeed at work in you who believe. So what is Paul affirming here? What is he praising? What does he want to see repeated? What he's affirming here is that the people in this town received and accepted the word of God. Like the early church in Thessalonica, we too have a decision, a choice to make with the word of God. We come every Sunday and we read a passage from the Old Testament. We do the psalm responsibly. A passage from the New Testament, one of the epistles or a story from the New Testament, also a gospel text. Every one of you has access, every one of us has access to the Word of God. And we have a decision to make, both initially when we come to know Jesus, but then every day going forward. Do we receive this? And do we accept it? And doesn't this remind you of another passage from the New Testament? Matthew 7, Jesus says, Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came and the winds blew and beat against that house, but it did not fall. Because it had a solid foundation. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. When the storm came, it crashed, and great was the fall. The reality is both Paul and Jesus are naming that there are people, and there are times for even every one of us who is a Christian in this room, where we have the word read over us, or we have access to it, and we hear the word, yet we do not accept it and put it into practice. What it means to accept it means that, God, we are actively trusting that it is both good and that we sit under its authority. Up on the screen, you're going to see a picture of a car. I I'm not a big car guy. Uh, those of you who know us probably know this because we drive a 10-year-old minivan and a Prius. Uh, so we are not necessarily, you don't look at those two cars, you're like, these people, they know cars. They love cars. Uh, but this right here is a Bogatti Bolide, B-O-L-I-D, and I'm sure if I'm saying that right. When you Google what is the fastest car in the world, this is what comes up. A few of you are nodding your head like you knew what this was. So good for you. I will not, you don't, we'll take your car if we go somewhere. You don't have to drive in the Prius. But the Bugatti is a car that is incredibly expensive and there's a limited number made, but the fastest car on earth. It has a ridiculous amount of horsepower, torque, power in general. But the reality is that this car, much like our 2014 Honda Odyssey minivan, both require gasoline. So the reality is that if you pull, you have that vehicle right there, and you are going, you're, you're ready to, you know, drive to here to, you know, Birmingham in about 14 minutes apparently. If you have that vehicle, but you have no fuel for it, it does nothing for you. This is us. Some of us look more like that Bugatti than others, but this is us in our maturity. We recognize that no matter how long we have even walked with the Lord, 
apart from the fuel of the Holy Scripture, we are in park. So the word is, is you receive it, you accept it, and then what happens? What we learn from this passage is that it actually, the beauty of it is that the word is at work in you. So what is it doing? Well, we learn from the Bible. We, we think back on one of, the, one of my favorite psalms, Psalm 1. And we see from Psalm 1, it's a picture of, the, of, of what it means to follow, to, 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 walk, to walk with the Lord in, in, in His Word. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is, is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on His law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water. Reading the Scriptures, studying the Bible alone and in community, hearing the Word preached, receiving it as instruction, letting it rebuke you in your sin, looking to it to provoke you to live a holy life worthy of His calling is like a tree planted by streams of water. But what's interesting about trees is the trees as well as vines are two of the main things that the Lord uses to show us, uh, to give us a picture of what it is to, to grow in maturity. But with trees, they don't change quickly. I used to work for Habitat for Humanity, and on the last day of the build, we would plant a three-inch wide, three to four-inch wide, to City of Atlanta standards, red maple tree. As many as we had to take out to build the house, we had to put them back in the front yard. And so it is a lot of work. Volunteers are digging up a big hole, and we get the tree over. We kind of roll it over, pop it in the hole, and then we all look back. And it is one of the most anticlimactic moments you've ever experienced. You're like, oh, we, I mean, if you've never dug a hole, I'm just telling you, incredibly difficult. Um, but when you are digging that hole, you work all day, and it's like it's a rush. We're trying to get the, everything done before, you know, they have the big presentation at the end. And then you pop this tree in, and it's like maybe a few feet taller than I am. And not only that, I go back to the house after I got done when I worked there, and we'd hand the keys over six months later, we go back to check on the home, make sure there wasn't anything else that needs fixed. And that tree, I, I, sometimes I feel like it shrank, but that tree, it, did never, it never looked any bigger than it did the day we planted it in the ground. But you come back ten years later, that tree looks drastically different. If that tree's been watered, if that tree's been cared for, if it's been pruned that tree looks drastically different. And so you may not have an initial or a moment every day where you're like, oh, I'm taking these enormous steps forward. But I promise you, when you come to critical intersections in your life, whether it's a new job or new friendship or life throws you a curveball in some way, God rarely writes what you should do, which way you should go. He rarely writes that in the clouds for you to read. However, what his word does, what the Bible does, or rather has done over a period of time, is he's grown you into a person of maturity, who in addition to prayer and community, have wisdom through the long-term digestion, the day in and day out of a healthy diet of the Scripture, to have the confidence in how to respond, what direction to go. And that's not even all 
that God's Word does. Right after this, Paul points out that the people of Thessalonica, they went through great suffering. The Scripture says, You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jewish people who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets that also drove them out. See, the Word of God was at work in them. It's not an accident that Paul says, right after he talks about the Word of God active at work in their heart, he then mentions suffering, because the Word of God received, accepted, and at work is preparing you for those seasons of suffering. And I don't know about you, but when life hits the fan, when things go awry, when my stress level starts to go 10 out of 10, my mind can start going a million different directions. Some of them healthy, some of them not so healthy. My emotions are all over the place. I feel like I've been swept up in a storm. I get tossed around and thrown back on the ground. And I can't figure out where, which way north is. And in those moments, what the Word of God is to you and I is an anchor that we go to when we're looking around saying, I don't know what is true. I know that this is. The great theologian and boxer Mike Tyson <laughs> said it really well. And he said, everybody has a plan until what? They get punched in the mouth. And some of you can think back on this week or this year or this season of life where you've been punched in the mouth. And that punch, that suffering, leads you to a crucial intersection in the same way even good things can lead you to a crucial intersection. I've got a question for you today that some of you may know the answer to. I want to ask you if you know what... This is. Yes. You'll see up on the screen, for those of you who are not familiar with this incredible invention, that is the proper technique for how to launch a water balloon. Now, some of you in high school, you were star athletes. You won state championships. Some of you are valedictorian. I cannot claim to be either one of those things, but if you put... Three trash cans 400 feet away, there's not anyone you would want launching a water balloon other than myself. I don't mean to brag about it, um, but if this was an Olympic sport, like, I'm not saying I win gold, but I'm, I'm on the podium for launching water balloons. And so there was a group of buddies of mine uh, from high school, and you'll see a picture of my high school pop up on the screen. And we, you know, again, may not have been the best athletes, but we perfected launching water balloons. And one night at the school, this is, this is my school 20 years later. It did not look this nice when I was there. But uh, when we were at that school, there was a play or some sort of music performance one weeknight. And my buddies and I went to the performance to support some friends, but we dipped out a little bit early and we went across the street and kind of set up with a cooler full of water balloons and our water balloon launcher. And you can go to the next slide, Anna. And so we're at the Star. That's my school. And the car right there, that is where when you're exiting the school, there's a red light. And if you get stopped at that red light, you are like a fish in a barrel to us. And so we, from where that Star was, we were just sending water balloons at our friends. And they, you know, they don't know what's going on. But after a minute... They realize these are water balloons. It's okay. It's probably Drew and his buddies. We don't know where they are, but they're probably across the street somewhere. 
And I just want to say that as, as people are leaving, I'm not endorsing this. You know, kids don't go home and say, Pastor Drew, he's good at this. Uh, he was good with this. But you go to the next slide and you'll see the boom. That's where we hit it, right there. Um, and so when we got tired of this, you know, it got, it was fun for a minute. But then as people were exiting, we're like, ah, you know, we've done this. We were packing everything up. And the excitement had worn off. And one of the guys looked up and said, how about... We move a little bit over, and we launch them at that quick trip on the corner. And so you'll hit the next slide, Anna. So we moved over, and that quick trip on the corner, and we shouldn't, you know, we thought we can't, you know, we're honestly, again, very good at this. We weren't going to hit the people, but we were very confident we could hit that roof. And we debated this for about three seconds, loaded up the launcher, and then it just goes, and it's just, just sailing towards that quick trip, and then all of a sudden it goes. I don't think I knew. I don't think I guessed what a quick trip roof was made out of, but let me tell you, it is straight aluminum. Um, and so that hits. It is the loudest noise I have ever experienced, and I knew two things at that moment. I knew this is a terrible idea. It is a well-populated, I mean, there's, there's people getting gas, there's, you know, 20 or 30 cars in there, and I knew this is a terrible idea, and I knew we are going to do this again. And so as soon as I, I look over, I'm kind of like, hey, what do we think? And then it's just, whew, another one launches up, and then it's just another, like, boom, boom, boom. It is the most fun I can remember having. We couldn't see the faces of the people where we were standing, but when the first one hit, everybody froze. They didn't know what was going on. Clearly, they were not expecting this. The second one hit, panic starts to ensue. People are getting gas. They just start. I, we see people just throwing the gas pumps out. People are going at the front door like, get in the car, squealing tires, screeching out of the place. We also, at that point, you know, the clarity hit us like, we're done. We're, we're done with this. It's a bad idea. We stopped shooting the water balloons. Horrible idea. Thankfully, no one crashed. There was nobody harmed that we know of that night. In hindsight few things I would have done differently, but the main thing, I wish that after we launched them, when we saw the panic ensue down below, I wish that we had walked down there, and I'm not going to throw this, so don't get worried, I wish we'd walked down there and just said, it's, it's just a water balloon. And not to justify ourselves, it still would have been a terrible idea. We still would have apologized for scaring everyone. But I'd love if I could go back in time to tell those people that are probably in counseling still to this day that you didn't have to be as scared as you were. It was just a water balloon. And it may have hurt if we'd missed. We, we didn't miss, just for the record. If we had missed the roof, it may have hurt. But at most, you're going to get wet and it will feel fine a little bit later. Knowing what is true in the midst of scary times makes all the difference in the world. Knowing what is true in the midst of our fears gives us proper perspective 
on how to walk forward. Rachel, you can come up whenever you're ready. Brothers and sisters, at Redeemer, I want us to be a people who when we are trying to, when we're, we're seeing the Word of God, that we're not only receiving it, but we're accepting it and seeing it at work in us. Because yes, you're going to have crucial intersections in life that are based upon good opportunities that you have. You need wisdom. But honestly, even more importantly, there's going to be times where you get punched in the mouth. And life is incredibly hard. A loved one does you wrong. A friendship dissolves. You lose a job. An investment goes south. And in those moments where you are swirling in the wind, may the Scripture tell you what is true. May it give you perspective on how to live life. And may we be a people that even when it is hard, submits to its authority. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for the Word. So thankful for the gift that it is. And we repent that we don't accept it more readily. We repent that we struggle sometimes to dust it off. We repent that we choose our own thoughts or desires and trust them over trusting Your Word. But Father, correct us. Remind us. And may we be a people that look to the Scripture for guidance in both the good and the difficult times of life. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.